Here. Commissioner Gail Gilman. Present. Commissioner Stephen Lee. Here. Vice President Willie Adams will be absent today and Commissioner Ed Harrington is on his way. The San Francisco Port Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for peoples who reside in their traditional territory. We recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Item two is the approval of minutes for the November 14, 2023 Port Commission meeting. So moved. Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion passes unanimously. The minutes of the November 14, 2023 meeting are adopted. Item three is public comment on executive session. We will now take public comment on executive session. Seeing none in the room, do we have anyone on the phone? There are no callers for public comment. For callers on the line, please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item four is executive session, and there are three executive session items, one public employee hiring, and two conferences with real property negotiator as agendized. Can I have a motion to go into closed session? I so move. Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Motion passes unanimously. We are now in closed session.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
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 discussed in closed session. Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes unanimously. We are now in open session. Item six is the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Item seven is announcements. Please be advised that the ringing of and use of cell phones and similar sound producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. A member of the public has up to three minutes to make public comments on each agenda item, unless the port commission adopts a shorter period on any item. Public comment must be in respect to the current agenda item. The Commission will take in-person and remote public comment, beginning with commenters in person. For remote public comment, dial 1-415-655-0001 and enter access code 2662-357-5367, pound, pound. Then dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment on the item being discussed. An audio prompt will signal when it is your turn to speak. If you're watching this meeting on SFGov TV, there is a short broadcasting delay. To not miss your chance to comment, please dial when the item you want to comment on is announced, mute your device, and listen to the meeting from your telephone, which has no delay. Item 8 is public comments on items not listed on the agenda. Is there any public comment on items not listed on the agenda? Seeing none in the room, do we have anyone on the phone? There are no callers for public comment at this time. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item 9A is the Executive Director's Report. And for callers who wish to make public comment on this item, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. If I could put the slide deck up, please. 
Good afternoon, Madam President, commissioners, uh, members of port staff and the public. I'm Elaine Forbes, the executive director. Um, today I'd like to spend a little time in the report looking at this year, 2023, and kind of taking stock of what we've accomplished. Uh, we've had a lot on our plate. We've had a lot to meet mission and um, commission strategic plan. And I just want to take a second to look at how we've done um, and what might be coming up more. We'll talk about in January what's coming up for 2024, but to kind of give a signal uh, going forward. So I'm first and foremost really excited to present this information on behalf of port staff. Um, we did a great job. We went really first and foremost hard on the mission of making the port a great place to be with our clean, safe, and vibrant planning, and you'll see that, really came through, made a huge difference. I want to say staff has really worked hard on planning, uh, execution, working with other city departments. There's been real effort to get interventions on the ground, and they've just gone above and beyond, uh, really hitting above our weight here at the Port of San Francisco. I'd also like to uh, attribute a lot of the success to commission leadership. Uh, we really have the gift of a very strong commission. Um, you're strategic, you have diverse interests and understandings, you're supportive, you're innovative, you're transparent, and you model accountability and excellence. And that really comes through through our leadership team into port staff. So I can't thank you enough for that. I could talk a lot about each of you, but there's a lot to present today. So I'll save that for another time, but to say we're really thankful for the strong commission that leads us. All right, I'd like to get to the data to look at the numbers, and we have some very positive numbers. As you can see, we've made a big, huge impact this year. We welcome visitors across our waterfront, especially at major attractions, Fisherman's Wharf, Pier 39, Alcatraz Landing, you'll see there. Crews right away, first and foremost, after pandemic came back safely and that has persisted. And we're seeing even bigger years here. And this year we had 115 cruise calls, uh, 375,000 passengers. This creates jobs for longshore, provisioning, our small businesses, restaurants, et cetera. I've had many restaurant owners tell me that cruise passengers made the difference for a positive month income several times in the last year. We have also continued to receive grants, outside funding sources, for key improvements that we need to make, totaling $81.5 million. Again, banner year in resources from other, other sources and getting our state and federal and local delegations to care about our investments. We earned $125 million, $28 million this year. And our fund balance is above pre-COVID levels. It's at $156 million, commissioners, and that is a strong position. We awarded 60% of our contracts to local small businesses, always looking at shared prosperity and the way our economics can bring people in with us uh, that can contribute to this great waterfront. On economic recovery, as I said, our first and foundational mission since COVID has, to, has been to make the port a great place to be, that attracts people. We have targeted all funds towards safe, clean, and vibrant. Um, we've understood that this is guiding principle to our economic recovery. So some things to highlight. We completed the waterfront land use plan. Uh, we have a CEQA document. It is an active plan. This was six years of effort. 
three on the planning, one on the delay, the rest on CEQA. This is a very big deal for us. We also came through with some of the most complex events, uh, APEC, the third annual Juneteenth was a fabulous event that keeps growing, pop-ups on the plaza. We continue to work to bring people here to show what beautiful promenades, public spaces, and facilities we have, and it's showing. The numbers are here for us. I wanna speak about Southern Waterfront activation. The Southern Waterfront is a jewel in our necklace of public places, and we need to remember that and continually seek to improve these properties so we make meaningful contribution to the area. We, did, we aim to make it a destination, and we've made some progress this year. We've had very good Heron's Head Park activations with Reckham Park bringing people into that center. The Portola Music Festival, this is the second time at Pier 80, 70,000 visitors to the Southern Waterfront in an exciting new festival. Building 49 activation is moving for Crane Cove Park. This will be a very important public amenity. And we've done a lot of events in Crane Cove Park, and that park, Took a while to design, and it was it took a while to figure out how to pay for, but immediately adopted by the community. It's a really great facility due, due to all that worked for the community design. To the wharf. As you know, uh, the wharf tells the story of San Francisco's history as a fis fishing village, and we're really making it now a symbol of evolution and revitalization. Our small businesses, especially restaurants, have struggled. Many have reopened, but very many have not. Um, there's other issues that we faced in the wharf too, post-COVID uh, post with homelessness, crime, and unlicensed spending. We've worked very hard to make this a successful public place. And this year we gave a boost. Um, the $2.2 million grant for Fisherman's Wharf CBD has worked very well to activate areas. There's pier parties and trolley dances and things that people want to see. Bringing the SkyStar wheel to the Triangle parking lot has been a wonderful success. I believe it's very well received. We're waiting to see what the public and neighbors thought of it. It's been well received. Uh, we hope it's a great future success that will be coming to this commission. And it actually, in addition to being a great attraction and beautiful, um, it helps us with the site conditions. It works on, on just regulating the site with the queuing and then other opportunities and helps us address unlicensed spending. We have um, made, we're also going to make investments in off-the-boat fish sales. That program is great, but we need uh, facilities that are better for the public, so you'll see that implemented in 2024, but we've been working on how to execute that. The sole source, um, Fisherman's Wharf Revitalized, we're going to be working on with you, and it has the promise of bringing tremendous investment. We will see. Um, so these investments all are aimed to help our retail businesses reopen and the economy there thrive. Filling the vacant restaurants, you'll see we've got it set up. I'll talk to you about that in a second. It's just a key facility management strategy not to leave these facilities vacant. And so we're working very hard on, in that regard. And so that brings me right to it. So you've helped us in the post-COVID environment figure out how to deal with the big changes in our real estate portfolio. And the, and the first one was the leasing innovation. We just couldn't do the same RFP process. It wasn't really that successful before COVID, and we knew it wouldn't be after. So we now have the contracts in place, 
and the solutions on how we're going to broker, bring the, um, the the restaurants to you that that come up to the top and then negotiate the lease the leases. Maven has four vacancies working on in Fisherman's Wharf, Cushman and Wakefield two, and as you know, we have a successful plan uh, for Piers 30, 33.5, the best uh, butterfly restaurant with uh, PB and K and Coletto's. So we're hoping that's a really successful partnership, and we're hoping that these other, we get other successful opportunities for this commission. So we have the, the approach and the contracts in place, and now in 2024, we're going to see if the strategy is working for us. On construction and development, our engineering team has been hard at work. We've started designing 15 projects this year, including Cranco Park Playgrounds, Aquatic Park Sewer Repair, Piers 96 Wind Power Prep, and the Piers 52 Boat Launch, and more. Uh, these these designs, first and foremost, we are going to need to spend the funding that we have to do infrastructure improvements uh, from the American Rescue Funds. And we have other projects in which we have funding and we want to move along. This creates good construction jobs and activities up and down the waterfront and helps us improve our sites. We have the redevelopment of our land moving forward or our sites, the amazing Mission Rock project that continues to excel during COVID. We've received three of the four vertical building certifi certifications of occupancy. The residents continue to move into building A and Visa is expected to occupy building G in 2024. The project also has recent leasing successes, which is fantastic. Five retail tenants plus office space of 30 K, uh, 30,000 square feet at building A. We're very proud that this project continu has continued to move forward during COVID. It's one of the few in the city under construction, so we're very proud. Pier 70, the develop and you'll hear about that today, the developers executed nine lease agreements, including a brewery, bakery, a design studio, and others, and it, it, it's expected to begin opening in 2024. Okay, mission number two, after making the port a good place to be and clean, safe, and vibrant, is definitely maintaining our facilities. Our operating budget is projected to be very constrained. Um, we are not projected to have adequate investment to maintain our facilities, and we really can't accept this outcome because, of course, our facilities is the asset that we're maintaining. And, I really, commissioners and our wonderful staff has done exceptional advocacy work to earn what we call inside other people's money or OPM um, because there is city, state, and federal interest in our success and in our maritime facilities. So that's coming through. Funding from our state and federal partners is into the tune of $81.5 million. See, I said 18 because that would have been a big year in the past, but we're at 81.5 and that includes a highly competitive CALSTA Freight Infrastructure Program Award of $21.5 million to, for Pier 8096 modernization to really uh, make the facilities modern and reduce emissions, $60 million for resilience through an award from the Coastal Conservancy and a tentative award from FEMA. And then finally, and you'll hear about Piers 3032 today, but this year, we got state legislation to support the commission's plan uh, for a public-private partnership on Piers 3032 uh, to provide many, many public benefits and infrastructure improvements. 
to resilience. It's a big, 20, 2023 has been a huge year for resilience and 2024 will be bigger. We achieved a major, major milestone, which is the release to the public of the draft plan that's coming in January. As I say to the team, it's time to show the public the work. This proposal will be a multi-billion dollar plan, and if approved by Congress and the city, will address coastal and combined flood risks on our shoreline. This is a major, major step for partnerships for replacing the Embarcadero seawall and stabilizing the shoreline. The federal government would pay 65% of the costs of the final recommended plan. Um, we've done resilience pilot projects like this, the living seawall, and it's been very good to test uh, designing with uh, nature concepts. This is something that the seawall program offers is to bring in more nature and improvements to bay, bay water quality to the best of our capacity. And there's so much news uh, coming forward out of resilience, including a federal interest in raising our beloved ferry building and thinking about what that will cost and how we will accomplish that in this urban realm with all the infrastructure underneath. Uh, so it's a, huge, it's a huge undertaking and it's absolutely wonderful that the federal government has an interest and that we can move that along with the city because it will take a lot of time to do it right. To equity. We have secured parks legislation to add an additional two acres this year, and 12 acres are coming online next year with a new park, the Bayfront Park, which will be a wonderful addition to our parks network. To our equity program, we are really did a great job this year providing opportunities to young people that were really thought through uh, organized well, intentional, and um, just really a great job that staff did, uh, including the Rising Tide Summer Internship Program. This is the second uh, year. It's a mentorship and internship program. It's a partnership with the State uh, University Maritime Academy and the Philip and Sally Burton High School. It provided 11th grader <coughs> students uh, with a week-long experience and they immerse themselves in the culture of the Vallejo campus, uh, the Maritime Vallejo campus, and they had a five-week then paid internship at the port that rounded out their experience, and they did presentations, and it was just a wonderful program, and I, I'm really proud of it. Uh, Sail GP at Pier 80, uh, the base camp at Pier 80. Uh, during the week-long event, 40 kids uh, per day visited Pier 80 to participate in the Sail GP Inspire Learning Program. We had the South Beach Yacht Club Youth Sailing Program. This is a partnership with our Pier 80 uh, Marina Terminal, Pesha, and the San Francisco Boys and Girls Club within District 10, and it sponsored uh, six students to participate in the sailing program to our own workplace and its well-being. I am really proud to say that in the equity area, we've accomplished a lot, too, internally. And I believe a culture shift is underway. Staff tells me so. Um, it's really because of your hard work of thinking of a vision of an anti-racist organization and what that might look like that we began this long journey of, of cultural change. And it's had major opportunities in terms of improving transparency, improving clarity and openness of decision-making, um, getting rid of hierarchy, 
in, the, in ways in which we can do, in thinking about and being intentional about our workplace and what we offer in terms of promotive opportunities, in terms of training. It means resourcing our HR department. It means creating an HR department that provides services to employees, just not compliance related to our um, public contracts and unions. And it involves um, psychological safety, which is creating spaces where people actually get to know each other better. Um, I want to share that I just read something in the Harvard Review that looked at employee satisfaction. And there's simple surveys, mostly in the private sector. And the thing that's most associated with work performance is and the uh, affirmative answer to a question, I have a friend at work. It's, you wouldn't think that, but that's the highest association to work performance. So we are intentionally getting to know one another better, supporting each other, understanding the work that we face, and also spending a good amount of time in understanding our mission and how we fit together. And all of these things are making the place a much more exciting place to work. And I will say port staff love the port. They take care of this organization, and they're certainly our best asset. Um, but they also are a very skilled group of people with a range of skills that understand how to take care of this complex little city, little port city out here. So it's, it's extraordinarily important that our staff um, hits above their weight. Okay, in closing, oh, I think I missed, no, I think I got it all. Okay, in closing, we have a report, and this report talks about all of the impacts in these various areas in far, far, far more detail. I, I want to say that we could not have a, a, achieved so many, so many uh, important outcomes this year without the commission support. I also want to mention that our port leadership team, our um, chief operating officer, our division directors, communication leads, legislative director, human resources director, commission affairs manager, our legal, our legal sta um, staff, our um, general counsel, really it's the best leadership team a director could ask for, really. And I want to thank each of them uh, for this work. And uh, I hope everyone has a look at the impact report, and I'm excited to see what we accomplish next year. Thank you, commissioners. Thank you. So we will now take public comment. Is there any public comment on the executive director's report? Seeing none, do we have anyone on the phone? There are no callers for public comment at this time. <coughs> Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Lee? Um, Elaine, it's great, great report. I mean, I've only been here a year and a half, I guess, and it's amazing how much gets done and how everything is so self-contained compared to what I was at another place. And, um, but it's great that what we've gone so far in 2024, I'm really looking for with the star, uh, star sky wheel coming in really gives a big opportunity for the small businesses to have incentive to come over and I'm really looking forward to increasing the experience. I think nowadays um, we've been looking at rebuilding our economy based on product, but our product now has to be based on experience. So uh, the, the sky wheel, um, I really wanna work 
on, on creating a, you know, the off-sale fish for the boaters, you know, for the fishermen, especially when we lost our outdoor restaurants, you know, that were pushing um, all the crab sales and things from the restaurants. Now we don't have anybody complaining that the fishermen are taking away their business. I think we should be supporting them. Um, I see uh, the pier in front of Skomas that needs to be repaired really should be a kind of a tribute to our history mm-hmm. of shipping, I mean, of fishing and uh, shipping out fresh uh, fish. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, and, and just, again, the overall experience of the port mm-hmm. and keeping it clean and, and doing everything and, and, and people will come back in droves and we will, I know for a fact that creating the experience more small business entrepreneurs will come in and and lease the properties from us so i guess we just have to be patient but uh, thanks great report thanks i'm glad i'm here i i I kind of accomplished what i kind of set out to do is really help the port with their small business assets so i hope i'm doing okay so thank you thank you commissioner harrington thank you madam president and thanks for the report all kinds of exciting things, and I've only been here to only, a, only a few months, it seems, and I'm, I'm still learning about this stuff, but thanks so much. Um, I am particularly looking forward to seeing the Army Corps of Engineer work mm-hmm. go forward in resiliency and, and have that in the early next year, really kicking that in some kind of movement. Um, a couple of things. The $2.2 million grant for Fisherman's Wharf, at some point in the future, could you have someone either in written form or here talk about what did we accomplish with that? What's left to do? How much has been spent? Just kind of where we are with that would be useful. And did it make a difference kind of discussion? Um, the other thing in, in a general comment, um, there's, a, there's a term that we use in kind of the accountability world called tone at the top. And when I was reading about the FBI investigation, you know, the fraud one, it's clear that the staff here were trained and um, managed in a way that allowed someone to say, that's not right, and I'm going to do something about that. Mm-hmm. And that starts with the top, the, the person in charge of the organization, but all the way down the chain of command, that there's clearly a place that talks about how things are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes a huge difference in terms of people's respect for us and our ability to believe in us and trust us. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Commissioner Gilman? Um. Elaine, thank you so much for a great report and I think really illustrating all of the hard work that you and your, I really want to thank you, your team, the leadership team, but I also want to thank the maintenance crew, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, um, out at, mm-hmm. it's Pier 50, 50, I think, I was in 59, Pier 50, and all the staff who I see all the time, the embar- I drive the Embarcadero now three days a week early in the morning, and the Embarcadero mm-hmm. looks phenomenal. And we are doing such a great job. It is so exciting about the crews and all those passengers um, and also the success we've had um, with our equity work. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to set as, you know, I love that term, tone at the top, mm-hmm. um, to do that work. But I really, I've really seen as someone who's been on commission now for seven years. Seven? Mm. Four? Yeah, wow. almost seven. Wow. Yeah, wait, mm-hmm. four, five, six, six <laughs> years. Entering my seventh year. Sorry, I'm dating myself. Um, entering my seventh year, um, really see a shift and change both at the top in the conversation and how that's showing up in our work. You know, um, President Brannon 
really um, spearheaded our Juneteenth celebrations um, here at the um, at Ann Halstead Plaza and with Foodwise. But we're seeing it bleed out into all sorts of other activities from our contracting to those celebrations to the youth programs. And it's really great, I think, to illustrate for the public because we are part of the public trust. Um, we, you know, have not controlled the waterfront for that long. Um, you know, that um, we really are giving back to the public and in ensuring that that trust and our uses really represent the public interest mm -hmm. um, and not um, a privatized solution. So I just really want to thank you and your team for all your hard work, particularly around the equity programs and the youth programming, be it from the maritime program or the phenomenal work that FoodWise actually is doing with young adults around um, farming and cooking, et cetera. So thank you for your leadership on all those fronts. Thank you. Uh, Elaine, great report. And it is totally amazing to see all that has been accomplished in a year. You would think with all that you talked about, you were giving a five, 10 year yeah. report, exactly. but it all happened last year. And the fact that we have such great leadership and that we are at pre-pandemic levels all across the board is just phenomenal. The amount of people coming to the waterfront are, are balance sheets, our, our tenants are happy. I, 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 we have an incredible staff and I just really want to thank all of you for everything you did this year because it was a challenging year, a very challenging year with a lot thrown at us over and over. Um, so really appreciate all of you and everything you accomplished in 2023 and definitely looking forward to 2024. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next item, please. Item 10 is the consent calendar. For callers who wish to make public comment on the consent calendar, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Item 10A requests authorization to accept and expend a $9,607,500 grant from the Port Infrastructure Development Program, which is implemented by the U.S. Department of Transportation's Maritime Administration for the Amador Street Infrastructure Improvement Project to fund upgrades to the roadway, utilities, and install landscape features. This is Resolution 2352. Item 10B requests approval of the operating agreement, contract number OP-0011, with Isoflex USA, granting authority to operate its location at 1801 Lombard Street, San Francisco, California, as a foreign trade zone number three usage-driven site for a term of five years, with one option to extend for four years and outlining conditions for the operation of the usage-driven site. This is Resolution 2353. Item 10C requests approval to execute an amendment to the professional services contract with Cowie OLMM Joint Venture for Architectural and Engineering Services for the Mission Bay Ferry Landing Project to extend the contract term through June 16, 2026. This is Resolution 2354. Thank you. I, move, I make a motion that we move the consent agenda. Second. We will now take public comment. Is there any public comment in the room on the consent agenda? Seeing none, do we have anyone on the phone? There are no callers for public comment at this time. Thank you. Public comment is closed. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? 
Motion passes unanimously. Resolution 2352, 2353, and 2354 are adopted. Next item, please. Item 11A is an informational report related to one, acceptance of certain phase one horizontal improvements, two, a proposed amendment to the disposition and development agreement between the, between the port and FC Pier 70 LLC related to maintenance of those improvements, and three, the overall status of phase one of the Pier 70 28-acre site project, roughly bounded by 20th Street to the north, San Francisco Bay to the east, 22nd Street to the south, and Michigan Street to the west, the 28-acre site. For callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Good afternoon, Commissioners and Director Forbes. My name is Christine Maher. I'm a project manager for the Port's Real Estate Division. With me here today from the Port are Josh Keen and Paul Chazen, as well as Tim Bacon from Brookfield Properties. The main purpose of today's presentation is to share with you a really big milestone for the Pier 70 project. That is the completion and proposed acceptance of horizontal infrastructure serving phase one of the project. I'll start off with some background about the project and a brief update on its current status before turning the presentation over to my colleague Paul to discuss infrastructure acceptance and next steps. I'll start off with just a quick overview of the Pier 70 district. The Pier 70 special use district was approved by the port and city back in 2017. Outlined in blue on the map here, it encompasses 35 acres, including the 28-acre Brookfield site, Parcel K North and South on Illinois Street, and the PG&E-owned Hoedown Yard at the corner of Illinois and 22nd Streets. At full build-out, the SUD will include up to 3,000 residential units, up to 1.75 million square feet of office, nine acres of new parks and open space, and up to 500,000 square feet of retail art and light, light industrial uses. Uh, next, an overview of phase one of the 28-acre site project. Development of the 28-acre site is governed by a Disposition and Development Agreement, or DDA, with the Ports Development Partner, Brookfield. It will, it will be developed in three phases. At build-out, of phase one, which is the focus of today's presentation, and it's outlined in blue on the map here, will include up to 600 residential units, 460,000 square feet of office, three and a half acres of parks and open space, and 115,000 square feet of retail art and light industrial uses. Since the project was approved in 2017, we've reached a number of important phase one milestones for the project. Brookfield has now completed subdivision mapping, site preparation, and construction of horizontal improvements with the exception of parks. And while doing so, they've achieved a 20% LBE participation, far exceeding the project's goal of 17%. Brookfield also completed the rehab of Historic Building 12 in 2022 and is actively leasing the space. As Director Forbes mentioned, Brookfield has signed several leases, including five with women-owned businesses. Brookfield has also been activating the space with special events such as Bayview Uncorked while leasing efforts are underway. Finally, Brookfield and its affiliates have completed design review for two of the vertical parcels, A and E2, as well as the phase one parks, which they intend to build on a schedule that coincides with adjacent vertical development. 
Next, an update on vertical development at the site. With the completion of building 12 in 2022, there are six remaining buildings in phase one, including two office projects, parcel A and building two shown in blue on the map, one market rate rental, parcel E2 shown in yellow at Maryland and 22nd Street, two condo projects, parcel C2B in yellow at Louisiana and 22nd, and parcel D in yellow at Maryland and 21st. And finally, there's one 100% affordable project, parcel C2A in yellow on Louisiana, just across the street from building 12. Under the DDA, Brookfield has the option to purchase or lease all of these remaining vertical parcels except C2A, which is again the 100% affordable project. The timing of these vertical projects has, of course, been delayed due to the ongoing economic impacts of the pandemic. In addition, the project is in a period of down market delay, which was triggered in 2021 by the appraised value of E2, which came in lower than a, a threshold value that was set in the DDA. As a result, the time frames for Brookfield to perform time-sensitive matters, including closing escrow on these vertical projects, is told until the down market no longer exists for the project. Nonetheless, we do see signs of growing momentum at Pier 70. Building 12's first tenants will open to the public this spring, and Brookfield is seeing an uptick in interest in the space. Acceptance of the streets, which is the subject of today's presentation, is anticipated early next year by the city, and we believe that will increase the marketability of the vertical parcels. And importantly, the Port and Brookfield affiliate King Street Properties have been negotiating a long-term lease for life science building at Parcel A, which we hope to bring to the commission for approval early next year. And finally, should Parcel A move forward next year, the impact fees that will be paid by the developer of Parcel A will be used by MoCD to fund a pre-development loan for Parcel C2A so that project can begin moving forward as well. With that, I will turn the presentation over to my colleague, Paul, to discuss the acceptance of phase one infrastructure. Thanks, Christine. And thank you, director and commissioners, for having me here today. Um, you know, Despite the down market delay, I don't want to underscore the, um, the importance of this moment for this project. This is a huge milestone for Pier 70 as we accept this infrastructure of these streets um, that have been built and, and invite the public to come and see them. We are building some truly wonderful landscapes here for the public to enjoy at Pier 70. Um, and so this is kind of a very brief overview of the acceptance process. We are going to come back to, this is an information item today, we'll come back to you next month asking this commission to take um, a number of actions related to acceptance of port infrastructure. That, and then with that will be <coughs> an amendment to the DDA and kind of approving the project's MMEP, which is an acronym for Master Major Encroachment Permit, and I'll explain those in a, in, in a couple slides. Um, to get here, there is a number of due diligence that's been done by both the city and the port um, to, to allow this stuff to kind of be ready to be accepted. The city goes through what's called an NOC process, notice of completion process, where um, they vet to make sure all the infrastructure was built correctly, that utilities were commissioned correctly, and so on. There's a lot of paperwork that's had traded hands, and that was achieved in November of last year, about a year ago. Um, we are have a, the port process for port-owned infrastructure is outlined in the DDA, and that's called a schedule of performance process. We approve the 
direct the developer's request for an SOP, and that we anticipate will happen next month before the board commission hearing. Um, and both the SOP um, approval and your approvals next month will be approved with conditions. Next slide, please. Sorry. Um, so there's to outlining some of your the commission's role in this acceptance process. There's a number of steps you have to take. Um, there are conformity findings, which basically say that um, the improvements are functional and were constructed in accordance with the regulatory um, requirements. You will accept the improvements, the port, the port owned um, acceptance items themselves, the port owned improvements themselves, um, and in doing so, you will dedicate them for public use, dedicate them as public assets. Um, for the streets, you will dedicate them as streetscape, um, for streetscape and sidewalk purposes, and accept maintenance and liability of port owned items. And then here's a summarized list of what some of those items are, the, the, mainly the stuff on the surface. There are special paving. The, the way it kind of works is that the streets, public works in the city will accept all of this, what they call standard infrastructure. Anything that's kind of above and beyond that is non-standard from a maintenance perspective for the city will be accepted by the port. So that includes special paving, and there are various kinds of special paving um, throughout the site. Um, custom street furniture. <coughs> That includes benches, bike racks, um, trash receptacles, and some bollards. Understory plantings and their associated irrigation systems. Trees themselves will be maintained by public works. The Building 15's frame, which is kind of spans 22nd Street and acts as a gateway to the project from 22nd. Um, and the northern block of Louisiana Street, which was too narrow to meet city standards. So the port will actually accept ownership maintenance for most of the infrastructure on that one block. Everything really except the street lights, street light conduit, um, third party utility conduit, and um, I think the, the stop sign and the paint stenciled on the road right, will be owned by MTA. And so there's some more actions that you have to do um, associated with this. It's all, um, that includes approving the MMEP and the DDA amendment. The MMEP is a master major encroachment permit and that's really the permitting mechanism by which public works will lump all of these non-standard non items into a permit and the port will take on that permit and accept maintenance of those, of those non-standard items in city right away. Um, the DDA amendment is, will allow the developer to continue to maintain these items in the absence of service special taxes. Due to the down market delay um, and the delay in kind of moving forward vertical development, and we don't have revenue to support it, so the developer will continue to um, maintain that infrastructure for the foreseeable future. And um, you will also <coughs> grant the executive director some authority to, to take some actions following the acceptance, including um, accepting deferred infrastructure, approving the MMEP attachments which are being drafted, attachments of the MMEP, and releasing acceptance improvements from the master lease area. And finally, you have some recommendations to the board that they go ahead and approve um, and accept city acceptance items. Um, so you'll, they'll accept them, dedicate those improvements for public use, and approve the major master encroachment permit in the DBA amendment. Um, in terms of next steps, um, as Christine mentioned, you know, we're, we'll be here in a month um, for the actual acceptance item, for the acceptance of these, and then there'll be a follow-up um, action at the board first quarter next year, probably in February or March of next year. Um, that concludes our presentation. You know, before I wrap up, I just want to acknowledge a couple staff members who have um, worked so hard on this project. Um, our attorney, um, Annette Mathai-Jackson, has been instrumental in moving this project forward on a number of, of, 
of documents. And also, my boss, Kevin Masuda, unfortunately couldn't be here today, um, who has really stewarded the engineering of this infrastructure, and he has put a lot of wisdom and expertise into that. And we have additional slides available on um, find the project's financial structure and getting into the, the details of what some of those, this infrastructure that we are actually accepting, if you're interested in them. With that, I'll open it up for comments. Thank you very much. Thank you both for your presentation. We will now open it up to public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, do we have anyone on the phone? There are no callers for public comment at this time. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Harrington. Thanks very much for the presentation. Um, I'm given the situation with the economy for the last few years, it's amazing that the port staff and the developers have worked on this project and so many other projects to really keep things going. And I'm very grateful and impressed with all that that's happened. A, a couple of questions. The, the down market delay and the, uh, that triggered the tolling and the tolling project, again, I apologize, I'm fairly new here. Can you talk about that or send me something that would talk about what triggers it? How long does it happen? Does it, what, what starts the, or stops the tolling, how that works? Sure, we, we can follow up with additional information, but essentially what happened is there's kind of threshold values for each parcel that's set, they're set in the DDA, they're adjusted annually. If an appraised, if an appraisal of a parcel comes in below that value, that, that sets the down market for the project. And then basically what happens is annually you can do another appraisal to kind of test to see if the down market is still there or not. Um, if it is, if you're still in down market, um, and you can test again in a year. If it's not, you're out of down market. There is a uh, kind of cap, if you will, on the DDA that the down market cannot extend beyond five years. Um, we're, we're two years in. Um, so uh, Hopefully in a year we'll test better, but if not, the, the outside date you know is is one year, and at that time essentially what happens is the developer kind of has to has to waive the delay, and they're supposed to come in with changes. They can adjust the phasing of the project or make other changes to allow it to move forward. Okay, but it's an annual thing with a five-year cap. Thank yes. you. Um, other question: <clears throat> the whole idea of port acceptance of, of a variety of different improvements. And I get the, I, I'm understanding that the developer will be taking care of those for now. At some point, the port has to staff up to take care of those. Is that the plan? Either the port has to staff up or the port can contract out the work. But yes, eventually, it, I mean, it will become a port obligation. And either, yes, port staff will do it or we will contract out or some combination thereof using a service of special taxes once they're being right. generated. I mean, it seems like this is happening on a variety of different projects going on right now. Collectively, that becomes a, a pretty big maintenance kind of effort for the port. Yes, it will. It'll be interesting to see what, what that plan is kind of as we go through that. I will say that we do our best to have city-accepted assets, our right. very, very best in these development projects. But some of these things are non-standard, and to the best of our capacity, we could not get the city to accept them. So those are the few streets and utilities that we are taking on. We tried hard. The, this, the city does have a basic policy that city staff should do whatever city staff can do, and that you only contract out if it's not possible kind of for city staff. That's kind of the charter language. So I'm assuming you might be trying to contract out, but we'll see what happens with that. But thank you. Commissioner Gilman. Um, thank you. So I just had sort of one question along that line. Um, 
So did we coordinate with the developer for these special assets to ensure that the tiling as an example on the sidewalk that they showed is not is not made of a material or an aspect of it that in 25 years we can only find that from a vendor in Vienna or something that I'm just saying like are we since we're going to own these assets have to maintain them what's our collaboration with the developer to ensure they're not going to be yeah. cost prohibitive in the future I mean, we we have close collaboration with the developer and we are building high the landscapes are built out of high quality materials there's also you know the port staff the master developer hires a general contractor and they do the construction but port staff review material submittals um, for everything that is put out there and signs off on it. So we have our engineering staff, uh, all the sub-disciplines that are looking at everything okay. very closely. That was my only question. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Lee? Um, everything looks great here. I'm just curious. I, is, is there any talk, or maybe I missed this from because it's been ongoing, what's the um, support situation you have so many residents you got office space is there going to be a supermarket there is there going to be uh, small mom-and-pop restaurants to be able to pop up uh, you know I'm sure that there's so much space here that you can have a little uh, kind of what they do in Mission Bay they have a little courtyard with surrounding businesses a supermarket or a small grocery store is that in the plan for this <coughs> at all I'm going to ask uh, Tim Bacon from Brookfield Properties to answer your question. Okay. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, my name is Tim Bacon. I'm with Brookfield Properties. Um, it's a great question. That has always been our hope and dream for Building 12 in particular, to have it have a grocery store as part of that um, historic building. I think right now, and we had a few options just leading up to the pandemic to try to do that, um, the old adage in real estate is that grocery stores follow the rooftops and I think until there's a little bit more housing development uh, and that we can move some of the vertical development forward there I think that likely will be something that will be perhaps in a, a lighter phase of the project um, okay. but we are working on ways to continue leasing throughout the space uh, and are having some pretty good success yeah, I, I know it's gonna be a while before you fill it up but I mean I think pre-planning saves a lot of money yeah especially if you have a, a kind of a site in mind because you're gonna have to bring the electrical the power everything's you know three phase now I mean there's a lot of prep work and then if you can just make a turnkey for any person to go in like with it and get set up within a you know six months uh, you'll get so much more opportunity and it will support the people that are living and working in the area I think that's a good something that should be on the table yeah, I completely agree. And we've, uh, our design of Building 12, which uh, Port Staff was involved in, was um, very much thought to include that. So there's one specific corner of Building 12, um, which I'd be happy to um, show you around if you right. have a chance to, to come around, uh, that we had designed with the first store in mind. So I, I think yeah, I someday it to, does hope to have that. I'd like to see that, yeah. Because Third great. Street, there's very limited amount of yeah. restaurants there, so be great to have something there yeah certainly okay thank you thank you thank you um, I think a few of my questions have been answered um, especially about the uh, down market delay and next steps and it seems like there's very little activity out there now besides leasing building 12 and just wondering why we're doing this now why are we accepting this now mm. Does, don't we usually do this like when we have a 
full project or when, you know, when everything comes together. So I'm just wondering, why are we taking on this liability now? Part of it is contractually we're obligated to take it on per the DDA, but I think part of it is in order for... Now? Yes, we are contractually So the obligated. DDA says that we have to take it on now despite... Once, no it's, once it's completed, we have a certain amount of time to accept it, but I think we're also looking at it from the perspective of this is what needs to happen in order to make the site accessible, in order to help build that momentum that people are able to actually go out to the site. And if the streets and the infrastructure aren't accepted, the site's not open. So like in order for the building 12 tenants to open, the streets have to be open. So there is the liability part of it, but I think it also it's, it's, it's a huge milestone in that it will actually open up the site and allow people to, to get down there to visit. So people cannot use these streets right now until we accept Correct. Them. So in order to, okay. Yes. That, that part I get. That's right. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Thank you very much for the presentation. Um, we're looking forward to hear more, hearing more about this project and moving forward. Hopefully, you know, the market will turn and, and we can actually get the shovels back in the ground. Thank you. Next item, please. Item 11B is an informational presentation on the status of the Piers 3032 and Siwa Lot 330 mixed-use development project, generally located at the Embarcadero and Bryant Street. For callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. Hello, Commissioner. <coughs> Hello, President Brandon, Commissioners. Wyatt Donnelly Landolt with the Ports Development Team. I'm joined by Josh Keane, Assistant Deputy Director of Development, and David Beaupre, the Deputy Director of Planning and Environment, uh, as well as Jesse Blout and Clark Miller from Strata Group, uh, the developer at the site. So, Today's presentation is a project update, uh, as well as an update on the term sheet, which we intend to bring back in January for approval. Um, I'll touch on some of the terms and some we'll follow up with in January. Also wanna give an update on a key milestone, which is the passage of SB 273 at the state, um, which was critical for moving the project forward and uh, would not uh, without it, which we would not be here today. So excited to talk about that as well. Uh, before I jump into the presentation, just want to give a brief overview on the development process timeline. There's a lot of information here, uh, but generally at the top in the first row is the negotiation of a term sheet. So we're going through an exclusive negotiating agreement uh, in e or an ENA, and then that allows us to negotiate a term sheet, which is what I'll touch on today and bring, we'll return in January to discuss more. Um, that will allow us to move forward to the legislative approvals of the term sheet and the Board of Supervisors approval of the term sheet as well as a fiscal feasibility resolution. Um, and then we enter a negotiation of the transaction documents themselves, the development agreement, leases, um, and other agreements. All throughout this, there's extensive community engagement uh, an engagement with stage agencies overseeing the area. Um, and that will eventually lead us to both port commission and board approval of the transaction documents themselves, which are detailed contracts, um, giving the overview of the development and various terms 
Um, but the term sheet, which we're working on right now, is a much higher level overview of basic terms. And I'll touch on some of them and return in January on the remainders. So right now we're negotiating the term sheet. Um, and I'll touch on where, where we've been, because some of the steps have taken longer than we had originally planned, and I'll talk about why uh, as we get into what's happened over the last couple of years. Uh, so just some additional background. Our original goals for this were to preserve and improve the existing maritime uses. Pier 3032 uh, is a, a critical port resource but needs extensive improvements to survive into the future. Um, so that I think that was the, the leading goal here is to uh, rehabilitate Pier 3032 and activate that space along the waterfront. Um, we wanted to upgrade that infrastructure both the pier and the seawall um, to be resilient for the next 100 years, including both seismic and sea level rise um, concerns. Uh, we wanted to include public trust and public oriented uses at the site um, while keeping in mind the need to generate revenue from the site for the port uh, and create a financially feasible project. So a little bit of background on where we've been. The port issued an RFP, a request for proposals, in December 2019, uh, received three proposals, and uh, the commission authorized staff to work towards an ENA, or exclusive negotiating agreement, that's what allows us to negotiate, with Strata TCC, uh, who scored the highest of the three proposals in September 2020. The ENA was approved in February 2021. That's obviously a, a while ago. Um, there's been extensive community outreach since then. Um, to bring that initial to proposal to both the community and state agencies overseeing the area. And I'll talk about how that impacted the proposal. Uh, but that all led up to the passage of SB 273. Uh, so just a little bit about the outreach. Uh, dozens of meetings with uh, BCDC and the State Lands Commission, both between with the port staff and the developer. Uh, we met many times with the Northern Advisor committee and the developer held outside stakeholder engagement meetings. These two lines of community outreach, both with state agencies and the community, led to design modifications. I'll talk about those in the context of the original proposal and what where we are now uh, a little later. Um, but the biggest update is the passage of SB 273. It was introduced uh, by Senator Weiner and co-sponsored by Assembly Members Haney and Ting. This allowed the city to permit the project through its own process. Um, so it essentially gave state authorization to move the project forward, uh, ensuring it was consistent with um, the state trust and other uh, doctrines. So without that, we would not be here today. Uh, that approval in September uh, allows us to move the project forward. Uh, to get there, there were some modifications and SB 273 included those modifications, and I will get there eventually, I promise. Um, so first, I want to talk about where we are now, the current project concept. So we're looking at uh, a, a two to three phase, um, phases one to two, um, could go together or could go separate. It's two residential buildings uh, with a approximately 15% inclusionary affordable housing. And then land on that site will be dedicated to a 100% affordable housing building. That will be constructed as financing is available for that building. The next phase, phase three, is the demolition of the existing piers and reconstruction of a resilient pier with vertical improvements. That will include strengthening of the seawall at the project site, 
uh, an aquatic center that you, you can see in the foreground with a pool as well as a deep water berth um, for both crews and uh, emergency exit purposes. Uh, to narrow in on the seawall lot site, phases one to two, uh, the two original building, the two phase one, two buildings include 619 units of housing, uh, 92 on-site BMR units, uh, ground level retail, community space, um, and these could be developed together in phases uh, depending on construction feasibility and the market, um, just depending on how many units can be brought on at one time at that specific site. Uh, and the, the affordable site, if you look, there's the tower, which would be phase one, and then the mid-rise building on the left is phase two. The affordable site is in between uh, the watermark in the background and the tower. Uh, so that's the 100% affordable site, including 94 units. And that brings us to a total of 25% affordable, uh, which is what was included in the original proposal. So still meeting that target from 2020, which we see as a big accomplishment given all the changes in the market over the last few years. Um, Phase three is the demolition of the existing piers 3032 and reconstruction of a new resilient pier. The seawall will be strengthened. There will be the construction of an aquatic center uh, with a pool, a deep water berth for excursions and emergency access, uh, and then 375,000 square feet of office in one building with the potential for an additional 55,000 square feet of space in a mezzanine that would be in the, the, within the existing footprint of the building on the first floor. Um, and then 70,000 square feet of retail, mostly in a market hall right on the Embarcadero. And the site would also include accommodations for Rhett's Java House. Finally, there would be major investments in the port's assets, specifically Pier 3032. Uh, the projected cost of that at construction is around $460 million. And that's before any of the vertical improvements on top of the pier. Um, so there's a, a major infrastructure component. This is a, a, a very big asset for the port, but thus has a very big price tag. Um, so all of that would be included within the project. At the end of the leases, everything would revert to the port, including both the infrastructure and the, improve, the vertical improvements. So just to touch on those changes I mentioned, these were the results of both community input and input from state agencies, including BCDC and state lands. Um, the first is that the project will be delivered in up to three phases rather than a single phase. I think there's, there's two reasons for this. The first is just construction feasibility, trying to do both sides of the Embarcadero um, at the same time creates challenges, both in terms of bringing crews on site, moving equipment and closures to the road. Um, the other component is maximizing public sources for the project. So we anticipate using a CFD, IFD on both sites to fund the infrastructure improvements at the piers. Um, so that will be a major source of that $460 million bill will come from the CFD, IFD. Uh, and by doing the seawall lot site first, we can stabilize that and gain the value there rather than trying to reach into the future and it actually acts as equity for those early investments uh, in the peers. Uh, so the second change is a reduction in scale of phases one to two. So here you can see the original rendering um, and I'll show you the, 
the residential in the background, you can see it was um, a larger bulk um, across the two buildings. So the changes resulted in a reduction to 713 units. Um, and then the final change, I think the biggest one you can see is there were two piers. There is now one pier um, with the large market hall. So much more of the Embarcadero street facing uh, frontage is active retail. The pool is uh, an aquatic center right off of the Embarcadero. So there's more activation right on the street. Um, changes to phases one and two, again, 175,000 square feet less, 137 units less, and um, much less of the site is at that 105 foot mark. Um, more retail on the site and more um, open space as well. Uh, in phase three, you can see from the depictions here, um, going from two piers to one, the market hall is on the left here in the right picture, you can see the, all, everything on the Embarcadero is Market Hall in that building um, pretty much, and then the Aquatic Center and Pool are closer to the street and much more visible. Uh, so the next step is the term sheet will return in January for, to request approval of the term sheet. I'll discuss some of the terms here. Some remain under negotiation and will re we'll return in January to discuss those. Um, so some of the key things covered in the term sheet are the uses themselves, which I've discussed previously, uh, but also phasing, schedule of performance, financial terms, uh, the lease structure of the deal, and then uh, the project DEI plan. So the financing, as I mentioned earlier, we anticipate using both the CFD and IFD, similar to how the port has structured those tax districts at Pier 70 and Mission Rock. Uh, a key thing here is that even with those, those sources, the project still shows a $125 million gap, infrastructure gap on the piers to balance. Um, we're gonna monitor this moving forward. Our, our hope is that the market improves and that closes the gap itself. I think that's a potential path to close that gap. However, we are also looking at other sources. Um, some of the sources that we're seeing used across the city are changing impact fees, either adjusting them or delaying their collection, which has time impact on money, uh, utilizing additional investments through capturing more tax increment, um, adjusting or waiving transfer taxes, and with the port, we also could potentially identify federal or state funding for infrastructure, uh, one of which recently received um, already to close that gap. Uh, so the next term is just the deal and lease structure itself. So we're expecting to have a lease disposition and development agreement. There is the potential for a master lease or construction lease to start construction early. Um, and then separate ground leases for each vertical construction site. So there will be four ground leases, uh, one for each of the three residential buildings, the two market rate with inclusion area and the one affordable, and then one lease for the piers in total. The piers lease would be 66 years. Um, the Seawall Lot 330 ground leases would be 99. Uh, the next component in the term sheet is the DEI plan. So this covers different diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives uh, as part of the project. I think the first and most unique for the project is swim and water sports access. So the pool will be controlled and managed by a nonprofit. 
aimed at addressing racial, gender, and economic disparities related to water sports and swim proficiencies, um, particularly with a focus on youth um, and young children especially. Uh, the second, a BIPOC artisan retail program. Um, they're looking to target BIPOC entrepreneurs for the artisan retail spaces on the Pier Shed building uh, and plan to have a program aimed at supporting those entrepreneurs both in successful business practices but also in structuring leases in a way that ensures success. Um, looking to find an affordable housing partner for the affordable housing site with a heavy emphasis on BIPOC leadership when selecting that partner. Uh, and then we will set LBE, WBE participation goals uh, as part of the transaction documents. And finally, workforce development. The developer plans to put the project under a project labor agreement, which covers uh, labor rules for the project. And they also intend to work with CityBuild on a pipeline program to help bring people in to work on the project and leave with the skills necessary to build a career um, in construction and trades. So additional terms, then we will return in January to discuss these. Uh, the ground lease is rent and terms of payment, uh, performance schedule, and the port's participation in uh, project profit. Uh, finally, just next step. So again, we'll return in January to, with some additional information and to request approval of the term sheet. This will allow us to bring it to the Board of Supervisors uh, who will endorse the term sheet as well as find the project fiscally feasible. We're currently working with a consultant on that fiscal feasibility report. Uh, the board approval allows the developer to submit an environmental evaluation to the planning department um, and us to continue moving forward to those more detailed <coughs> transaction documents. Uh, so I will open things up to questions uh, if anyone has them. Wyatt, thank you so much for the presentation. We'll now open it up to public comment. Is there any public comment? There is public comment. Katie Liddell. Good afternoon, President Brandon and Commissioners. My name is Katie Liddell, and I have lived actually at Portside, right across from this site, for uh, almost 30 years. Um, I am the co-chair of the Port's uh, Northern Advisory Committee, and I founded one of the local neighborhood associations, so I'm, I'm very familiar with the territory. The reason I'm here today is to actually tell you what a great job Strata has done of community outreach. Uh, it hasn't been easy. There have been loud objections to some parts of the project, but Strata has listened and has made many changes accordingly. They redesigned the housing on Seawall Lot 330 to remove 100, and I have 135, you just said 137 units, and improve view corridors. They held numerous meetings with HOAs and had Zoom and telephone office hours so people could call in uh, on a weekly basis and ask questions. It's also my understanding that the BCDC uh, did a lot of work on this 
and as co-chair of the NAC, I know that the developer made a number of significant concessions at the request of the BCDC. They changed the project from two pairs to one and added 40,000 square feet for a market hall to ensure continuous public access. The project is the first proposed for this site to balance financial self-sufficiency, support of maritime activity, public access, and removing fill from the bay. As co-chair of the NAC, I personally witnessed the very favorable reception from the public for this revised plan at one of our meetings. The retention of the deep water berth and the investment to strengthen the seawall are unbelievable gifts on top of everything else. At a time of rising sea levels where private investment and resiliency will have to be part of the funding picture, we need to stop the bureaucratic infighting and focus on getting something done. It has been 20 plus years of failed efforts. I know, I've been there the whole time. Lastly, and as, long, as a longtime resident of this neighborhood and one who has been very hands-on involved, I can tell you that we are desperate to finally fill in this spot on the bay with a welcoming recreation and commercial area. This neighborhood has fewer public parks and open spaces than many other parts of the city. We need this project, and we have the best developer to deliver it. Commissioners, I urge you to support this project. Thank you. Thank you. Eddie Rays. And then Greg Hardeman. Good afternoon, commissioners and staff. Thank you for the opportunity to offer public comment. My name is Eddie Reyes, and I am a native San Franciscan and have been a proud iron worker for over 40 years. I am also an officer in the San Francisco Building Trades Council and elected president of Iron Workers Local 377 here in San Francisco. We are glad to see the process moving forward to realize the development of Piers 30, 32, and Seawall Lot 340. The project will privately finance $400 million in public infrastructure, which will help us address rising sea levels. It will also add resiliency to the port and the city with seismic strengthening work. All of these important, important investments will create good union careers in construction and opportunities for local apprentices. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners and staff. My name is Greg Hardeman, and in addition, in addition to being a San Francisco native, I'm also uh, representing the Building Trades Council and, the, and um, the International Union of Elevator Constructors Local 8. Uh, we are thrilled to hear the process of the, the progress of the Piers 30 and 32. We have a long history working with Strata development on projects in the city, commercial developments, and their proposal to reimagine the to reimagine, revitalize the port space is ambitious, and some might even characterize it as risky. But like Strata, the trades always see SF as a place to innovate. For the port, this is a great opportunity to bring in revenue via long-term ground lease and also free up harbor trust funds for other needs. The activation of the Embarcadero will bring jobs 
after our members are long gone and this project and two and um, something we can get behind. Uh, thanks for this time. We look forward to working with you closely on this project in the near future. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any more public comment in the room? If not, do we have anyone on the phone? There are no callers for public comment at this time. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Gilman. Um, thank you so much for this presentation, and it's so excited to see this project move forward. Um, you know, these peers really need to be redeveloped, and this is a really exciting um, concept. I have a couple of questions, and actually, why I don't know if you or um, Jesse Blount from Stride would be better to answer them. Um, they're really about project design and concept. So I guess my, my first question is on the seawall lots, which will be developed first in phasing. And I just want to make sure I'm understanding the time. I mean, I know this could shift, but right now what we think the timeline is going to be, and it seemed like we're going to do the residential developments in phases with those having on-site um, BMRs. Um, Jesse, have you thought about what you're going to target those at? And I'm just curious what AMI levels or what you're thinking of for the BMR units. And then I have questions about the affordable. Thank you for the question. Uh, Jesse Blout, partner at Strata Investment Group. Uh, great to be here after a few years of slogging away. I'm really excited we're at, we're at this uh, yeah. precipice and moving forward on the project. Um, you know, the, the, as Wyatt pointed out, we're, we have an overall affordability of 25%. Mm -hmm. uh, some of that is satisfied with a standalone 100% affordable development. And then we'd have 15% uh, at, on an inclusionary basis, which is part of the process for qualifying for a state housing density bonus, mm -hmm. which we intend to do in this project. Um, the average affordability, I believe, is uh, for, or the affordability for the inclusionary units, I think, is at 60% of okay. median income. Yeah. yeah. I just didn't remember, so I I'm really, pretty sure. I really yeah. appreciate that. No problem. Um, and then, so, can you explain to me, though, the fate, I guess, and, maybe, I and I think I'm just interpreting it wrong. Yeah. Um, I was concerned that it seemed like there is not a timeline for the affordable parcel, and why it did use the language, which I appreciate, if financing is feasible. So. I could imagine you build these units, you rent up, and we're still looking at an empty lot five years down the road because we can't find financing. So can you explain sort of your plan for that parcel? Yeah, I mean, it starts with selecting a partner um, for that uh, parcel. We intentionally did not go into the RFP process with a kind of a predetermined affordable partner. We do intend to select one, and I think is articulated in our um, DEI proposal, we intend to do that in a collaborative effort with the port and MOHCD if they, if they want to be involved. Okay. Um, there's no reason we couldn't start the process um, with that partner to try to secure pre-development funding and other things to move that project along. I think we just wanted to make clear in full transparency that um, the parcel itself doesn't have all the sources identified. Um, and, you know, obviously with the, uh, with phase three and all of the jobs housing linkage fees that would flow from that project, that's an obvious source mm -hmm. to fund the gap. Yeah. But given the timing of that, um, you know, we would want to go forward and try to seek additional sources. You know, as you know from other projects, we've been very successful with our, um, with our affordable partners in getting state money and other sources um, when they're available, you know, kind of opportunistically. So there's no reason we wouldn't uh, try to do that here and kind of put our sweat equity into helping that process along. Um, but we also didn't want to say that the, the timing is guaranteed because it right. is relying on outside sources. Yeah. 
Okay, no, I, I really super appreciate that. I'm very mm -hmm. excited about this. And I just hope that possibly you can select a partner sooner rather than later to have them in that beginning stages. I think we've seen, I think we've seen a lot of success in San Francisco, both at other projects you've done, but also in Mission Bay as an example. The first building that went up was 100% supportive housing, and then all the buildings came in around it. And I think there's a danger sometime when you're building a new community or a new parcel, if you build the market rate first and leave the affordable for the last, I think sometimes it can have some unintended consequences. So I just wanted to encourage that. Mm -hmm. And then I also, you know, on that um, front too, I'm super excited that you're having a PLA for the overall site. Would that PLA extend to the affordable parcel though? Because that, that will drive up costs. So I'm just, and make that yeah, I, more expensive. So I was just curious what the thinking was on that. I think that's a policy matter for the city, the port, and okay. the other participants in that discussion of to hammer out. I mean, we, we are committed to PLA. We always do yeah. PLAs for our projects. Yeah, that's great. Um, but we're cognizant of that dynamic, so um, we'll leave that up to the okay. powers that be on that issue. Okay. No, thanks. And mm -hmm. then I just had two more questions about the peers. I think it's the same thing. Sorry. It was... I. I I don't know. It's about the market hall. Okay, um, yeah, it's probably me. Yeah. yeah. No, I was just curious, um, and I know this is, you know, this isn't opening tomorrow, mm -hmm. but ha I'm just curious if there's been market studies done. I mean, we've seen, maybe it's just the point in time in the pandemic, but we've seen struggles here at this yeah. market hall. We've seen vacancy, and actually, we've seen several small BIPOC businesses that were brought in pre-pandemic not make it through the pandemic, so I'm just wondering... Yeah. I, it might be premature, but I may so maybe a later date. I'd love to hear the strategy for the market hall and how we're going to have that sort of small business BIPOC component be successful because we've seen Nick's success at yeah. the property we're sitting in. Yeah, I, we'd be happy to come back. Um, we do have a lot of conviction that the market hall is, is viable in this location. Um, and one good example of why we are some uh, sort of reinforcing that that confidence is we've actually had inbound interest from national market hall operators expressing oh, interest in the site. I don't want to get into who they are, yeah. but you could imagine probably seen been to some around the world uh, with these particular brands, not to say that we're in necessarily interested in moving forward with any of those at this time. Um, but it is, I think, an indication of the, the potential demand for, for this location. Um, the, part of the reason we're excited about it is um, with the crew's birth, um, you obviously have built-in demand um, when you have several thousand people coming off, off and on a ship in a port-of-call context. That's an, you know, you're basic, we're going to be basically funneling people along that promenade who will be able, they'll be able to patronize those entrepreneurial spaces that we've designed into the promenade for particularly for smaller BIPOC entrepreneurs and then through the market hall. And so we think that brings an additional level of demand that wouldn't you, you wouldn't otherwise count on in, in San Francisco, along with the fact that it's a little bit of a food desert in this location along okay. the um, waterfront. And then you've got all the, obviously, the sports patron traffic uh, coming along the Embarcadero. So those factors com combined with just, I think, when you, you have high quality design like we're intending, I think we're going to have strong demand, um, but we'll, we'll be happy to come back as we get further into yeah. it. No, I know a lot of these are sort of premature and it's just moving forward. Mm -hmm. And then my, my last final question is, um, the nonprofit to run the Aquatic Center, is that, because we've seen 
um, I think it's at Mission Bay with the parks. We've seen nonprofit entities form for these development mm -hmm. groups to manage or operate them. Are you considering a formation of one, or do you have an we aquatic are. partner? <clears throat> we are. We're, 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 to be honest, we're having conversations with partners that already exist in the space, nonprofit partners, um, YMCA, Boys and Girls Club. Um, but we're also interested in looking at whether it makes sense to create our own mission-driven nonprofit uh, specific to this facility. Um, both options are on the table, both are viable. No matter what, we intend to have partnerships with those organizations that already do this incredible work um, in the community. And frankly, regionally, um, one thing to point out is, I think in the conversations with state lands and BCDC, it was really reinforced that um, this needs to be a regional benefit, mm -hmm. that we should be bringing kids across you know, the bay right. and from North Bay, et cetera, to, to be, be involved in this, in this facility. So we think there's opportunity for lots of regional partnerships as well. Okay. Um, thank you. That concludes my questions. Thank you. Commissioner Lee. Well, uh, I think most of my questions have been answered because um, yeah, I was curious about the, uh, the marketplace and if, if um, you could keep it local, you know, we get the local options first. And, you know, I, I've, I've dealt with airport, you know, how the airport has all these concessions and then they have big companies coming in and eventually the rents are so high, uh, you know, it kind of kind of squeezes out the small business guide. So I just like to keep it local, you know, if possible. Obviously, there's a certain amount of, you know, overhead you got to cover. But uh, I'm just looking at that end, and and I guess you're going to keep it small, like maybe a thousand thousand square feet units, and if they want more, you can actually add more. So I guess that's probably the the deal there. So yeah, all I could do is wait and see, <laughs> two more years at least to get started. That's that's all I have. Thank you, Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, Madam President. Um, thanks for the presentation, and I really do appreciate how much work has gone into this thing. I think, as, as one person said, but many people say, we're so sick of 3032 sitting there, it would be so nice to make something of that. Um, and the work that you've done with the neighbors and the and labor groups and everything else is really pretty stunning to have people coming in. And I'm sure there will be people coming back and saying we hate it anyway, but so far, so far, so good who's in the room at least. Um, my questions really go around timing and risk. Um, you know, I, I did like in the staff report, it says, while the developer and staff have not identified the exact mix of funds to close the $125 million um, gap, the team feels confident it can secure these well ahead of the start of the project. What does that well ahead of the start of the project timing look like? Sure. So with the phasing, and we'll return with the scheduled performance next month, but I think we're, we're definitely a few years away from construction of the piers, and that gap is solely at the piers. I think this is another piece of the phasing is it gives us more time to identify funds and, and see what happens with the market for the peers to move forward. If the market improves and that becomes financially feasible on its own, we don't necessarily need those additional public subsidies uh, to make it work to close that gap, that 125 of the 400 plus million dollar uh, infrastructure need. Um, but if, if we don't, we have time to work through any approvals we need We've seen this. The city is moving on impact fees, transfer tax. Um, there's different ballot power positions. So we'll see what happens with those uh, and use the next couple of years while we negotiate transaction documents to identify those. I think that the goal is in the next couple of years we would have something fiscally feasible ready to move forward, uh, whether that's through market improvement or additional public sources, uh, grants, 
for tax subsidies. Um, but I think we wouldn't want to get to the stage where we are ready to construct the peers and haven't identified those sources. So we're giving ourselves times to do that. Um, I think the hope is that we do it sooner rather than later, but we feel confident in the next few years because um, we're looking at definitely, uh, you know, five plus year window before construction on the pier starts. So I guess what makes me nervous, and I'm sure it makes you nervous too, is that this, this is emphasizing the things that are relatively straightforward in terms of the housing. And the things that are always going to be difficult are the ones that are setting out there continuing to be difficult. Um, I know you've put a variety of things in the language about, well, if this doesn't happen, this happens, and there's, there's contingencies. But um, again, we're, we're looking at the housing being done in the next how many years? Uh, I think so we would likely have transaction documents executed in 2025, 26, um, and probably construct, there'd be a couple of years to prep for construction on <clears throat> the housing. So probably late 2020s, 2030, we're looking at uh, completion of that. Um, so we're still, even completion of that, we're several years away. Um, so there's time here. And as you said, there's things happen over that time, and I think in January, we'll return to talk about some of the financial structures here that are ensuring the incentives are aligned to make sure that the entire project's moving forward successfully. Um, I will defer some of that conversation for January, though. Yeah. And so we're saying maybe housing by 2030? <clears throat> we'll come back okay, in January with okay. the final <laughs> schedule of performance. Yeah, yeah, but I'd love to see is something about if that happens in 2030, then we have a peer in 2035, and, or just and that will be part of, of the January presentation is that detailed um, scheduled performance with outside dates. Um, I don't. I, I, part of the reason I'm being vague here is we're still negotiating those exact dates. Right. I think there's timelines that we have general senses of, but we're negotiating what that will look like. Um, so we'll come back in January with exact dates and present those. Right. And as you're doing that, is the plan at least now? to finish the housing before you start the piers, or is something happening at the piers while you're still working on the housing, or is that part of the it's negotiation still? I think that's part of the negotiation. Mm -hmm. um, I will say if the opportunity presents itself uh, to work on the piers through some major grant, I think everyone would jump on that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, my only other question is a, is a really simple one. In the discussion about the deep water berth for excursions and emergency access was the wording that was in there. And then I think Jesse, and in the pictures it shows cruise ships. Um, is this in competition with our cruise terminal? Is this the secondary cruise thing? What, what's the thinking on that? I think it's a complement to the existing cruise terminal. It's an in-transit berth. So it's, it would add an additional berth, not a full turn, but one in transit. I think I have that right. Um, and we, we desperately need birthing. I mean, we really, um, we don't want to ever uh, turn a cruise ship away, but we're going to get into that uh, situation. And also, this would be an electrified berth, um, right. so there would be a lot of positives there. Good. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks very much, Wyatt. Thank you, Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, Wyatt. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you for the report. Um, I think most of my questions have been answered. And I guess more questions will be answered in January. We'll learn a yes. lot more in January. More to come. But, but really, you know, like Katie said, I've seen every failure at this site. And I really hope that um, Strata is committed 
to a successful project on the wharf and the seawall, both. I, I really, really do. I hope that we don't just have more housing and and nothing on the, on the wharf side. I really hope that you're committed to a successful project because it'll be very exciting if, if you can uh, complete it. Very exciting. So lots more to come in January. Thank you. Next item, please. Item 11C is an informational presentation on proposal to amend and restate lease number L-16997 with the Young Men's Christian Association of San Francisco for building 49 located within Crane Cove Park. For callers who wish to make public comment on this item, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Good afternoon, commissioners, director Forbes, Jamie Hurley with uh, Port Real Estate and Development. I'm here with a brief presentation informational presentation regarding a proposal to amend the Ports Leaf lease with the YMCA of San Francisco for Building 49 located at Illinois Street and 18th Street within Crane Cove Park. Uh, just to give you a brief project overview, this lease was approved by the Port Commission and the Board of Supervisors earlier this year and subsequently executed with a lease commencement date of August 1st of this year. The master tenant, as I mentioned, is the YMCA of San Francisco, and there are also two subtenants, both small local businesses, Dog Patch Paddle and Daily Driver. The port's objectives for this project include the preservation and rehabilitation of Building 49, which is a contributing resource to the Union Ironworks Historic District, providing community and visitor serving uses, and enhanced activation of Crane Cove Park. Um, just to summarize some of the key uh, existing lease terms, um, the lease has an initial term of 10 years and a total term of up to 34 years, including all extension options. It requires a minimum capital investment into the building by the YMCA of $5 million, with a current estimate from the YMCA closer to $6 million. It also requires the YMCA to assume all maintenance and repair obligations for the building including for the public restrooms, which comes with an associated $2,000 monthly rent credit. The lease also includes voluntary seismic improvements and structural upgrades to the building, which comes with associated rent credits of up to $500,000. So, um, <clears throat> so in terms of why we're here <clears throat> in the, the need to amend this lease, um, the proposed lease amendment or amendments will provide for a revised seismic scope that has been designed in consultation with port engineering staff to meet the seismic and structural code requirements for an existing building at a significantly lower cost while still providing for a seismically upgraded facility as compared to its existing condition. This change to the overall project scope is necessary in order to bring the project back into financial feasibility and ensure successful project delivery. Um, some additional lease changes that I wanted to highlight, um, in addition to the change to the seismic scope, the amended lease would also include the following changes to account for delays associated with the need to rethink and redesign the seismic scope. So these include 
elimination of the port's obligation to provide rent credits for the seismic work of up to 50% of the cost for that work or up to a maximum of $500,000. It would extend the outside rent commencement date from uh, July 1 to October 1st of 2024, so an additional three months. Um, and then it would require the YMCA to open the public restrooms no later than July 1st 2024 or upon occupancy of the building by the tenant or subtenants if that occurs prior to July 1st. Uh, in terms of immediate next steps, Port Staff plans to bring the amended lease back to the Port Commission for your approval uh, at your January 23rd meeting and upon such approval to immediately move into the approval process with the Board of Supervisors in February. In the meantime, the YMCA remains committed to the project and is proceeding with final design and preparing for resubmitting of their building permit application accordingly, and they expect that the building will be fully open and occupied early next fall with possible partial occupancy uh, as early as June. This is just uh, a rendering of uh, the building after project completion, just as a reminder of the big picture in terms of what we're trying to accomplish with, with this project. I want to thank the YMCA team, several members of which are here today, for their ongoing partnership and commitment to this project. That concludes my presentation. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Commissioners. Thank you, Jamie. We'll now open it to public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? none. Do we have any public comment on the phone? There are no callers for public comment at this time. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Lee. Um, no questions. Um, whatever it takes to uh, help the YMCA because yeah. the YMCA is such a great organization and that's a good partner. Um, I don't have any problems with to it to you know to a reasonable extent but yeah we want to support you at least I do. So I have no other questions. Thank you, Commissioner Harrington. Um, thank you. And yeah, I mean, it makes sense. The world is, is changing. We have to adapt to it. I'm a little interested, though. Were we asking for like the gold standard seismic, and now we're doing a silver standard seismic? I mean, we're still doing seismic, oh, right. but it's a lot cheaper. How, did, how does that work? Yeah, so <laughs> it's a great question. So it was, it was never going to be a full. Um, seismic upgrade, a full code required seismic upgrade, and that's why you'll see it referred to in the staff report and, uh, you know, hear it referred to as a voluntary seismic upgrade. But uh, so it was, if the gold standard is the full, you know, um, this was not that to begin with, and it was always going to be voluntary. Um, but the, the new approach is significantly, you know, reduced in terms of scope and um, but as I mentioned it, it would still provide uh, for an upgraded facility as compared to its current condition and it, it provides it, to whatever the, whatever the current regulations the, are and all that correct building it codes. would it would meet the code requirements for an existing building okay. under the current code yeah. you know a couple months ago we started doing things a little bit differently where we can do an information and acceptance if we think something's ready to go right was there a reason we were doing this in two steps um, we had considered doing it that way, um, and I think, yeah, 
Somebody said no. Yeah. <laughs> Real quick, uh, Josh Keene, Assistant Deputy yeah. Director of Development. The, the main reason is there's still an actual lease that needs to be negotiated and restated. So it's the approval of the lease. We're, we're there conceptually. We need to actually draft, finish the drafting of that. So we don't have that document in front of you to be approved. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Gilman. Um, I'm super supportive and hopefully this comes back as a consent item. I think we all are in agreement. We're so excited to see this happen at this location, have the YMCA um, flourish. So thank you. Definitely. Thank you, Jamie. And yes, I, I was going to have that same question. I was like, why can't we vote on this now? <laughs> thank you, Commissioner. Look forward to seeing you come back in January. Thank Great. you. Jenica, next item, please. Item 12A is an informational presentation on requests for proposals from pre-qualified pool for up to four engineering consultant services contracts for detailed design of Waterfront Resilience Program Embarcadero Early Projects. For callers who wish to make public comment on this item, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Good afternoon, Commission President Brandon, Commissioners, Executive Director Forbes, Board staff and members of the public. My name is Stephen Real. I'm with the Waterfront Resilience Program. I'm the Deputy Program Manager for Engineering and Project Delivery. This is an informational item on the WRP's intent to issue an RFP to procure conceptual design and detailed design services for WRP Embarcadero Early Projects. I'm joined today by Carlos Colon, the WRP Project Administrator, and Elizabeth um, Alexander Tut, the Pro Port Contracts Procurement Manager. The WRP identified Embarcadero early projects with the goals of defining implementable projects that reduce earthquake risk and near-term flood risk. To deliver these projects, the WRP defined a process that includes planning, pre-design, detailed design, construction, and closeout phases with support from the CH2M program management contract, 23 potential projects were identified in the planning phase. Seven of those projects have been advanced in the pre-design phase. And we are now seeking new contracts to support completion of pre-design and detailed design and to provide design support during construction for six of those projects. This map shows the 23 potential projects initially identified and the six projects that will be included in these new contracts. The projects are the Wharf J9 Seawall Earthquake, the, the Wharf J9 Replacement Project, the Pier 15 Seawall Earthquake Safety Project, the Pier 9 Seawall Earthquake Safety Project, the Ferry Building Area Earthquake Reliability Project, and the Downtown Coastal Resilience Project, and the Piers 24.5 through 28.5 Earthquake Safety Project. Contract 1. As proposed is the Downtown Coastal Resilience Project. This incorporates aspects of the Ferry Building Earthquake Improvement Project. Um, this project intends to improve coastal flood defenses and earthquake safety along a three-quarter mile stretch of the Embarcadero seawall between Piers 5 and 22 and a half. Contract design services include coastal flood defenses, seawall rehabilitation, marine structure strengthening, roadway and public space improvements, utility and drainage improvements. The anticipated contract duration is seven years and the estimated fee is 9.5 million. 
contract two, and there's a mistake on the title of the slide. It's, this is the Southern Embarcadero Coastal Resilience Project. Um, this contract will develop designs for, to strengthen or re and or replace the seawall and bulkhead wharf between piers 24 and a half through piers 3032 to improve coastal flood defense, earthquake safety, and support the pier redevelopment. The scope includes Pier 3032 demolition design, seawall rehabilitation or replacement, marine structure strengthening and replacement, roadway and public space improvements, and utility and drainage improvements. The anticipated contract duration is seven years and the estimate is $9 million. Contract three is the Wharf J9 replacement project, phase two. This project will replace Wharf J9, including the seawall, and improve Alscoma Way for earthquake safety and coastal flood defense. Phase one of this project uh, is um, being delivered early with the, the float um, and the temporary installation of that floating berth, which is going to go out for bid uh, shortly. Um, the contract scope includes design of the seawall and wharf replacement, birthing facilities, roadway and public space improvements, utility and drainage improvements. The anticipated duration is six years and the estimate is $6 million. And then contract four is for seawall earthquake safety improvements at various locations, including Pier 9, Pier 15, Piers 24 and a half through 28 and a half. Scope includes seawall and wharf rehabilitation and strengthening, pier and building seismic joints, and retrofitting and utility service improvements. The expected contract duration is six years and the estimate is $4 million. To procure, to procure these services, staff intends to issue a single RFP to the pre-qualified pool established by Port Commission Resolution 2268 on December 13, 2022. This pool was recently used for the Pier 50 Earthquake Improvement Project solicitation and it consists of seven firms. Contracts awarded from this pool carry an LBE rating bonus of 20% minimum LBE subconsultant requirement. A CMD approved panel will score the written proposals and grade on the approach to the work, experience and the qualifications. Firms may propose on one or more of the contracts and a ranking will be established for each of the contracts Negotiations will commence first with the highest ranked firm for contract one, then contract two, and so forth. Each, the firms um, will only be awarded one contract each. And so if a firm is awarded contract one, their name will be removed from the list for contracts two and three and four. The anticipated schedule is to advertise early next year to request award to, uh, at the commission meeting in April of 2024, and then uh, start the contracts as early as May if we can conclude negotiations. The contracts are primarily funded by the 2018 Seawall GO bond, except for contract two, the Southern Embarcadero Coastal Resilience Project, which is primarily funded by a forthcoming coastal, California Coastal Conservancy grant. And this concludes my presentation. Carlos, Elizabeth, and I are available to answer questions. Thank you. Thank you. So this, um, 
we will now open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Do we have anyone on the phone? There are no callers for public comment at this time. Thank you. Commissioner Lee. <coughs> um, I mean, basically all these engineers do the, basically the same thing. It depends on their expertise, I would assume. Um, do you put uh, any weight value on their kind of final design? You know, like there's always that, you know, you fix the pier, fix the, the structure, and then the overall look for the public. Do you guys weigh in on that, or do you guys weigh in on uh, the actual work? Uh, you know, this, what, what, what is your pointing scale? I, I, yeah, it's qualification selection. So based on experience, prior contracts, the staff being proposed, the staff's experience, uh, and the commitments of the amount of time the staff can, it can provide on the contract uh, and their approach to the work. And so there's a series of questions that each respondent provides answers to, and those are uh, reviewed by the panels. They're evaluated by the panel and scored. So any, any uh, final design, like, you know, other than the actual fixing the structure, I mean, is there any points for creative design or anything? Is it just strictly the, engineering stuff? It's not strictly engineering. These are important public spaces. Yes. And so the quality of public space design will be an important component in the, the evaluation for these, these projects. Some of them are more important than others. Downtown Coastal Resilience Project, the Southern Coastal Embarcadero Coastal Resilience Project are going to require high quality public design. The Earthquake Safety Retrofit Projects are mostly underneath the structures, so much more engineering focused. So that for that, that contract, that's less important. Do we get to see, um, after you kind of pre-select, do you just make the final decision, or does, do we uh, get to see kind of the, you know, the design, as they say? Well, there, there's no design. This is, uh, the design will be developed by okay, the firms, yeah. right? So this is a qualifications-based selection. The CMD-approved panel will do the evaluation and the score, and then CMD will oversee the scoring and provide the ranking. And so then we will negotiate with the highest ranked firms, come to a tentative agreement. We come to the commission to seek authorization to award a contract. I see. So that's, that's when you get to see who the, the firms would be. And then work with them on what we think that would be nice of that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, sounds pretty routine. Uh, as you know, you know, I want to kind of create this environment after the structures are finished to entice more people to come to the port. So I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm more leaning on that part. I mean, it's, so. yes, it's, okay. it's incredibly important. The All waterfront, right. you know, is, is an amazing space right now, and these projects will make it more so. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, Madam President. Thanks for the, for the presentation. <clears throat> I, I get why we want to spread these out as opposed to having like one contract for $28 million. We get a lot more work to different firms. We have less risk in some ways and everything. But I also want to manage expectations. So some of these firms in their joint ventures have like 30, 30 different firms related to that. And you know, one of these projects is like $4 million. 
they're not going to get that money. And so I, I always hate when we kind of make it seem like we're going to distribute all this money to all these, especially lo local kind of minority firms, and then they don't get anything out of it. Um, when you come to one like a four million or a six million one, and there's all these firms, as part of their presentation, do they have to say we'll work with all these, or do they start to break it down and say, for this project, we're only going to work with 10 of them or 20 of them, not all 30? How does that work? They break it down in their proposal. So right now, they're pre-qualified with a whole host of sub-consultant firms with various in expertise in various disciplines. When they propose on this particular contract, they will include the disciplines that the mix of disciplines that they see are a best fit, and they'll they'll make that commitment in their proposal. And then, at you know, the contract, however, is signed with the prime, and there's the ability to manage subconsultants during the contract if work scopes change, and sometimes that happens. And, and when they when they applied to get, to get in the kind of as needed pool, they did not make promises then to all those subs. They just said if if the work applies, you might get part of this, but you might not. What, what's kind of the expectation out there in the community, I guess? Um, I was not involved in the okay. creation of the pool, that solicitation. It was an engineering as needed contract solicitation. Um, and so there's no predefined scope of work. And so there can't be, I, I, I imagine there are not specific commitments to how much work each firm would get. And these are new opportunities. When that solicitation went out to create that pre-qualified pool, it was known that we would be bringing new opportunities. Uh, and those new opportunities would have their own scopes of work. And each, each um, firm would tailor the subconsultants they bring and put on that contract based on the scope of work and how they, they see best, the so when, best fit. So when these come back in April or whatever, you will have a list of the, of the the real mix of firms that will be working on the project at that time. Yes, that's correct. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Gilman. Um, I think all my questions were answered, thank you. Yes. I think mine were also, this is interesting, yeah. It's an interesting way, that, I mean, I think it's great that we're trying to use a lot of firms and give a lot of opportunity, but then it, it's like you can only win one contract. So one contract, we may have the third best versus the first best. And, and so it's, it's, it's like, what's a real fair way to do this? But I guess this is it. We, you know, one of the benefits is that this is a lot of work. Um, and so there are capacity issues with firms to try to do all this work at once. Um, and so this is one way to help out because we do want to, it's important that we advance these projects on time and that they all move together. So this is, we, we think that this will help with that. And we know that these, these seven pre-qualified firms and the, and the subconsultants that they bring, they're, they're all very good firms. Right. And so when we bring more projects online and we use the same pool, will they be able to? Yes. Apply? Or even though they are or have a contract, they'll be able to apply for new contracts in the future. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So this will be back in January, or this is it? It's just the information. The, 
was there we, another we question? We need to take action, right? The commission action, will take yeah, action, action on you, consent. This, you'll yes. take action when we come for to request authorization to award. In Which is April. In that, April. May, in April. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. Not on this item, but when the individual right. contracts are prepared. And so when you come back for authorization, you're just going to come back with the one that was selected, not like first, second, right. or third. You're just we'll, coming back with who was selected for each. We'll detail the process, the evaluations, yes. the selections, and then seek, seek the authorization to award. Perfect. Thank you. Thank but, you. I'm sorry. But it will be a less intensive process because the pool's already qualified. Right. It is. I, it's, I, guess, right. I guess, like, I... I I mean, part of this was to break down bureaucracy, break down barriers, break down time frames, so we could contract more quickly. I just want to make sure I'm not missing that. That's that's, that's correct. Right. So, okay. Sorry. when the firm applied to the pre-qualified pool, they submitted, you know, the stack of qualifications, all of their experience, and they were they were evaluated by a CMD panel, approved panel at that right. time. They met a minimum score that was established to get into that pool. Mm -hmm. And so now they can focus on the scope of work and their approach to the scope of work. They don't have to resubmit qualifications. Right. And, and I'm just guessing some firms may not want to bid on, on the 17, <coughs> number 17, because that may not be what they do. Yeah, or they may there might only like be one person bid. in that pool who's like, yeah, that really is exciting, and right. I'm going to go for it. That's correct. Okay. Right. Make sure I conceptually understood. But the idea of getting from here to award in April is warp speed in the city that you could never it's, happen yeah. unless they were pre-approved. And these will start all at the same time. If you got all projects selected, they can move simultaneously. They can move simultaneously. So we'll be Some of the projects will move more quickly. Those earthquake safety retrofit projects are going to move very quickly. Okay. So we're looking at you know, approaches to, to speed the construction of those through phasing approaches to the design. Yeah, okay. Thank you. And then uh, just regarding, and this may be a Nate question, but during the budget cycle or sometime within the next couple months, you're going to show us where we are with funding from the bond, you know, what's committed, what's left over, what's... Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Nate Cruz and the Deputy Director of Finance and Administration. Yes, during February, uh, both hearing dates actually, we'll be providing information on spending to date from both the Port Harbor Fund and the GEO Bond on the Resilience Program. Uh, one of the things I did want to mention too, because procurement falls under Finance Administration, is this approach to creating a pool really has created these advantages that you highlighted tonight. Uh, and these contracts were envisioned at that time, right? We've mentioned possibility of using the pool for resilience work. And so we really benefit from that wide net that we cast at the beginning of this process, and now we get to take advantage of the speed. So this is a, is a, a new, new approach for us, but, but we're excited about the possibilities. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Next item, please. Item 12B is an informational presentation regarding the professional services contract with CH2M Hill Engineers, Inc. for planning, engineering, and environmental services for the Waterfront Resilience Program. For callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. Thank you, Danica. Uh, Madam Presen President, Commissioners, uh, Director Forbes, members of the public and port staff, um, 
appreciate the opportunity to present on this item. I'm here to talk about the major contract uh, that has supported development of the Waterfront Resilience Program. It's a contract with CH2M uh, Hill Engineers um, that was entered in 2017. We're reaching the end of capacity of that contract. Really, this staff report and this presentation is an overview of how we used uh, the approximately $60 million in that contract. Um, we wanted to present this in anticipation of coming back to the Port Commission in the first quarter of next year to talk about a new competitive solicitation for program management services. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge the others who are here with me tonight, Carlos Colon, our program administrator, Stephen Wheel, uh, Deputy Director of uh, Engineering and Project Delivery. Um, from CH, we've got Patrick King, who is the, the contract executive, Darren Milson, the program manager, and Ramon Perez, who is the assistant program manager. So I just wanted to introduce those folks. Um, just a personal note before I get into the presentation, it has been a bit of a trip down memory lane tonight with Piers 3032. Um, in particular, I tried and failed twice uh, at that site. Um, uh, uh, was happy to hear about the progress on Pier 70, and it's just so impressive the work that staff who are working on those efforts now are doing. So I just wanted to step out and say that before I dive in here. Um, if I can move to the next slide, please. Oh, I, can I advance? Yeah, I think I can advance on my own. So um, this is just a brief overview of the presentation. I'll start with program background, dig into some details about the original contract, the amendment, deliverables that we saw over the course of the contract, talk about the uh, contract controls uh, and remaining contract capacity, and then end with next steps. Um, so the reason that I want to start with some background about the resilience program is really that when we started, we had a set of assumptions about what the program would be. And through the work that we've done with this contract, those assumptions changed pretty significantly. Um, in 2016, uh, Stephen Reel led an effort that was the first study of the Embarcadero seawall. It was a vulnerability study based on existing data, and that really led to uh, sort of a citywide understanding of the need to replace or, or stabilize the seawall. The thought that we would start with a $500 million first phase that would look at potentially, you know, a couple of segments of the seawall, uh, maybe a half mile to two-thirds of a mile, um, uh, and led to the contract that we're talking about tonight as the vehicle to sort of deliver that first phase of work. Um, in 2018, shortly after we entered the contract, some pretty important things happened for the Waterfront Resilience Program that are foundational. So uh, uh, our congressional delegation helped us get uh, uh, an authorization in the Water Resources Development Act for a general investigation of coastal flood risk. One of two uh, coastal flood risk studies nationally awarded that year, uh, so they're pretty difficult to get. Um, that was followed by uh, entering into a feasibility cost sharing agreement with the Army Corps of Engineers 
to execute what we then thought was going to be a three-year, $3 million study. Um, voters were very generous in adopting Proposition A, the seawall earthquake safety bonds, by an 83 to 17% margin. Um, and in early 2019, Executive Director Forbes established the Waterfront Resilience Program, really sort of extending the work on earthquake safety and, and flood safety uh, waterfront-wide, uh, so to a seven-and-a-half-mile stretch of our jurisdiction. So this is the highest level sort of summary of changes in assumptions. We started uh, when we bid this contract looking at three miles of the waterfront. We're now looking at seven and a half miles. Right before the bond, there was the thought that we were more focused on sort of the earthquake piece of things and that we would be potentially developing a stable foundation, which we would then later adapt to address sea level rise. Through the work, we've really come to an understanding that the, the high cost of stabilizing the seawall, the very significant disruption associated with that work, the timing of sea level rise really argues for stabilizing the seawall and elevating the shoreline at the same time, uh, which led us to move away from that concept of one to two segments of seawall and two to the 23 Embarcadero early projects that Stephen just presented on. So now I'd like to dig into some of the contract details. Um, this is the original scope. Uh, was looking at a focus planning phase, about two and a half years to conduct a, ri a risk assessment, do the planning work, and get into design of those one to two projects and would extend through final design. Um, in 2019, uh, we had done a bit of work with the Army Corps of Engineers and had come to an understanding that with that seven and a half mile look, the complexity of the infrastructure in the near shore area and the complexity of dealing with both the seismic and the flood risk, that this study was not going to be a three-year effort. It was going to be a seven-year effort, and we thought at the time a $20 million cost to complete the study. Um, we took advantage of that amendment in consultation with the commission to add uh, important scopes uh, focused on LBE support and workforce development. Uh, we'll come back to the commission to present some of that work at a later date. Uh, we made some other adjustments to the scope and, uh, and, and the commission authorized that 2019 amendment. So now I'd like to dig into some of the key deliverables um, and, and some of the achievements over the past close to seven years, uh, really starting with the multi-hazard risk assessment. Um, this is really amazing work. Stephen Real sort of conceived of this. Uh, it really looked at the soil conditions, the complexity underground, all of the infrastructure systems. It modeled earthquake and flood risk to all of the ports facilities along this stretch and to city infrastructure uh, and has sort of set the foundation for the work that has come later, both on the Embarcadero early projects and really in the flood study. And when we come back uh, in February to present the work in the flood study, we'll try and tell the story of how this work on the multi-hazard risk assessment informed the Army Corps draft recommendation. Uh, so it's really been invaluable to the port. Um, 
I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the early projects because Steve just presented on this, but uh, it was quite a bit of planning work that we presented to the Port Commission in late 2021. Um, and then we spent considerable time over the past six years doing public engagement, planning work, um, uh, and and I, I'm impressed with the, the, the public outreach. If you go to the port's website, we've documented what we've heard from the public, um, neighborhood by neighborhood. And that allows us, when we go back out to the public, to sort of reiterate what we've heard and how it's informed the development of the program. The last time we were out was uh, with the draft waterfront adaptation strategies in late 2022 which uh, we then used in the Army Corps process to sort of compare and develop a draft plan based also on that stakeholder engagement. Um, some highlights uh, from the contract. We had an initial CMD uh, um, uh, participation rate for LBE firms of 21%. We've achieved a 28% uh, participation rate. Director Forbes talked about the FEMA award uh, for the Downtown Coastal Resilience Project. Grant writing took place under this contract. Um, we're, we're just getting some of the deliverables on workforce development and LBE support, and we'll come to the Port Commission on those items, uh, and have started to think about how we're infusing this work with an equity perspective consistent with the Port's, port's Race Equity Action Plan. So um, this slide talks about some of the awards uh, that have been given, uh, you know, uh, for communications work, historic preservations work, uh, preservation work, and resilience work. But I think really what this reflects is uh, the quality of the work that we've received under this contract. We talk a lot about partnerships with development partners at the port. We enter into those public-private partnerships and we're a pretty small team in the resilience program. We've got nine staff, and we're really reliant on consultant support to develop the program. And so that has required developing a partnership with the consultant team. And I will say about the people who have worked on the contract, uh, that they're really committed to this work and the idea of helping San Francisco be more resilient uh, to these risks. So I wanted to move into contract controls. Um, this is a task order-based contract. It's very similar to the engineering as-needed contracts that were discussed earlier. Um, so we have a general scope. But then as the work progresses, we have to request new tasks. And we go through a scoping effort for those tasks, looking at the cost to produce the work, that's reviewed at several levels. Uh, Carlos reviews it first. The task lead, it goes to finance and administration, and then ultimately to me. Um, and then when we receive deliverables under the contract, it goes through that same set of reviews. The other thing that I want to mention here, which is talked about in the staff report, is that uh, one of the sub-consultants on the contract is RDJ Services. Members of the public uh, and maybe commissioners have read uh, in all likelihood that uh, the executive for that firm was indicted. 
and as part of a contract controls, we consulted with the city attorney, uh, finance and admin, and issued a stop work order on, on any work from RDJ services. So I just wanted to highlight that in the presentation here. Um, and then move to remaining contract capacity. Um, uh, we've got funding to continue the Army Corps work. We're going to be out in the public in a very robust way over the course of the spring, getting public comment on the draft plan that we've developed with the Army Corps work, um, continuing work on preliminary design to set up the, um, the projects that Steve is, is putting out to bid now. Um, uh, and we expect that this will get us through about June of 2024. Um, so uh, we don't, don't see a way to extend this team much beyond that point. So next steps. Um, got a lot of work ahead of us. Uh, I mentioned public engagement on the draft plan. That's going to continue beyond June. That's a process where we're going to, you know, eventually enter into design of the first phases of Army Corps work. We've got to complete this feasibility study with the Corps through the end of 2025 into 2026. Um, uh, there's a need to advance further projects, early projects under Prop Proposition A and subsequent funding that we may get from the city. Um, importantly, as you'll see with the Army, the cost of the Army Corps proposal, we're going to need to come up with a very detailed funding plan <laughs> to figure out how we come up with the local and state sources to match that federal funding. Uh, and then, you know, design of the first one or two phases of the Army Corps project. Um, and I'll mention one thing is that we've heard in the city engagement a lot of interest amongst the city departments and at the port in, in being involved in that design process. It's like we know and we love this waterfront. And I think the city wants to be involved in that design effort. So we'll come back and uh, as we put together that scope, um, uh, we'll come back to seek your authorization to advertise for those services. And uh, that concludes my presentation. So I'm here to answer any questions that you have and hear public comment. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, do we have anyone on the phone? There are no callers but public comment at this time. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, Madam President. And thank you, Brad, for that report. Um, walking down memory lane. So uh, to this was a $55 million contract for how many years? It was originally for 10 years. Um, it started as a just shy of $40 million contract and then was amended to be sh just shy of $60, $60 million and it'll, with contingency. It'll end up being how long? It'll end up being about seven years. And when you're looking forward to the next contract, do you have any idea about cost and term of what you're looking at? We, we don't yet. That, that We need many more senior management discussions. We need to figure out the length of that contract. And so I'm, I, I don't have those answers today. Okay. Uh, I was trying to put together page 9 and page or slide 9 and slide 19. And if you look at slide 9, it looks like what we're saying planning had about $35 million. There's $1.8 million left of that. Preliminary design had $13 million. There's about $5 million left of that. And the final design and construction had 7.6. We're not going to do that. Is that 
7.6 kind of the equivalent of the 28 million that we're looking at for these first projects that we just talked about, or is that different kind of things? So some of that 7 million will be covered in these contracts. So there was design during construction support. Well, I'll let <laughs> or, or maybe not. <laughs> Detailed design was always meant to be other contracts. And so what you're looking at there is is program management services during detailed design. So this is value engineering, third-party cost estimating, third-party review. This is helping us review the designs that are being So this part will have to be in the next contract to manage the people that we just talked about in the last right. item. And, that's, and in the interim, that's going to fall to staff. And we okay. may, if we need a specific bit of support, we may tap into our engineering as needed services to help. That's true. And you, and you still have 600000 left on this, but yeah. Okay. Thank you. That's it. Commissioner Gilman. Um, Brad, thank you so much. I have no technical questions about this report. I have an observation. Um, so I, I love this idea of telling a story, right? The public doesn't understand why this would cost close to $50, 60000000 million because they might be like, oh, I pay my project manager 20 bucks an hour and they do a great job for me. So I think it would be, I think this pyramid that you presented to us was so interesting. So I do hope either on the resiliency page of our website or when we go back to the Northern and Southern um, Advisory Councils, that narrative to me is really important. That narrative how we use these funds is really important. So I just hope we can lean in from a, from a communications perspective to really break it down for the public because there's always a huge disconnect, right, in everything that we do as a governmental entity. I hear it all the time. I can, you know, build a single-family home for $400,000. Why is it $1.1 million to build affordable housing per unit? So I just think this was very striking, and I just wanted to uplift and thank you for that and say I hope we can do some narratives on the website about how we're using these funds. Thank you. Thank you for that comment. I just want to remark, putting this together required thinking back to 2017 and thinking about how the program changed over time. And so I think it's really helped us to, you know, start to develop that narrative that you're talking about, Commissioner. Commissioner Lee? No, I don't have any any real questions. I mean, same thing like Commissioner Gilman. It's, I'm, you know, <laughs> 39 million, you know, 50 million. I mean, my house, I complain when I, my contractor charged me 100,000 just for, <laughs> So I'm just hoping that we keep, <laughs> we just keep tabs on the expense. And, you know, there's a lot of times people drag things out. And I just, you know, I think for the public sense, you know, we need to be very transparent how this money's spent. Because it's a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Right? So but that's all the question I have. <laughs> yes, it's a very long-term, multi-billion dollar project. I know. God. And it's incredible all that we've accomplished over the last six, seven years to from where we started to where we are now. So I really want to congratulate Brad and the entire team for getting us to where we are. Because, I mean, I think we're light years ahead of a lot of cities across the nation in terms of um, our seismic and, and flood studies and, and what we're doing to tackle it. And so I, I just really want to tell you how much I appreciate all the work that has gone into this and where you're leading us. 
and it's it, um, my question is going to be more around the new solicitation and what we're looking for and I'm sure we're, you're going to come back with that and tell us where we go from here and um, just thank you so much for getting us to where we are today thank you very much thank you Jenica next item please item 13 is new business Commissioners, I have recorded a request regarding the $2.2 million grant to see this uh, community benefits district. What, are, what have we done with the funds and what are those benefits to take a look at that? I've also recorded that we will be bringing the uh, detailed performance schedule related to Piers 3032 in January. Is there other new business? No other new business. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Can I have a motion to adjourn? I make a motion that we adjourn um, our last meeting of um, 2023. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? <laughs> the meeting is adjourned at 5.50 p.m. Thank you, Madam President. Thank Happy you, holidays. Everyone. Great meeting.